leading up to Christmas. And as I mentioned in the last uh, weeks and as I've been studying Advent, because I grew up kind of around it, but also kind of like not really, um, or never really paid that much attention. I just thought it was a Christmas thing you did as you got close to Christmas. And as I've been studying it, I've really realized in Christ- Christian history, it really what, it was a pre-Christmas thing, focusing mostly on the return of the Lord, not Jesus coming as a baby. You see what I'm saying? But Jesus coming to rule and reign. <laughs> and um, and that we are celebrating, our, or this, we're focusing on our time as we live now in between Jesus' ascension and Jesus' return. And that's where this Advent season makes the most sense. And it was a serious time of reflection and repentance in that we've used the nice... Like, there's no rules. This is not like a feast in the Bible where God says, do it this way. This is stuff people came up with uh, um, came up with to celebrate and honor what God had done and stuff like that and also reflect on it. But so different church traditions do different things with the candles, and, like, sometimes it's blue, sometimes they're red. They all mean different things. But the original meanings that I found when I was reading about it is that the candles, like, we were like, we're going to do, you know, hope and peace today and then joy. Like, the original four candles went in this order. Um, death, judgment, heaven, hell. Those were the four candles. And it was supposed to make you reflect on the fact, like we've been talking about in the last couple of weeks, like without God, you're sunk. Like you have nothing. Without God, you have nothing. And you're not going to make it on your own. And that was what you were supposed to be reflecting on. But it was supposed to end on hell. Like that was the reflection of the last week before we talk about Jesus coming. Because life without Jesus is hell. And there's an ultimate hell forever, but you're living in a hell now. If you don't have Jesus, and that's the whole point of what it was. And so these scriptures, though, that we find in this lectionary keep this theme, even if they've been kind of sanitized. With, with this, these aren't bad subjects. Like, peace is what we're going to talk about today. I felt this kind of conviction with the Lord that, like, we're trying to do this as a way to represent that we're linking arms with Christ, Christian believers around the world that are talking about in this season. You know, we're not the only church that's got all the, everything figured out. You know what I mean? Like I said, we're just normal people, and there's millions of Christian people reading these same scriptures today, and some of those millions of people are focusing on this theme, and you'll see how these things fit together as we get through it. So the first scripture we read on the subject of peace was Malachi 3, 1 through 5, and what we're going to do this next week, this week and next week, is kind of the story of John the Baptist, and John the Baptist preparing the way for Jesus to come and then drawing parallels to our lives of preparing the way of Jesus to return, Okay. That's the big picture over the next two weeks. Malachi 3, 1 through 5. I will send my, or 1 through 4, really. I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly the, the Lord you are seeking will come into his temple, and the messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. But who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? For he will be like a refiner's fire or a launderer's soap. He will sit as a refiner. And purifier of silver, he will purify the Levites and refine them like gold and silver. Then the Lord will have men who will bring offerings in righteousness, and and the offerings of Judah and Jerusalem will be acceptable to the Lord as in days gone by, as in former years. So Malachi right here is prophesying about John the Baptist coming, and Jesus quotes this scripture in Matthew eleven ten. Um, when the people are asking about, like, John the Baptist, like, who is this guy? And, like, what, you know, because people were trying to figure out, like, we are, like, what's going on? And um, Jesus says, this is the one about, this is the one, John the Baptist, about whom it is written, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before, prepare your way before you. So he's literally quoting this. And he goes on to say in uh, Matthew eleven thirteen through 15, for all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. And if you are willing to accept it, he is Elijah 
who, ha- who was to come. Whoever has ears, let him hear. And so the next scripture that we're going to look at um, that we read when we lit the second candle is what John the Baptist's father prayed over his son at his birth. He might have been like, what is this that we're talking about? And he's like, you are the one who will prepare the way. It's like, what? You know, I'm going to tell you this whole story that leads up to it. And there's a lot of scripture in here. Probably too much for me to read all of it. I've got all of it in the screens, but I might paraphrase some of it just so that we can get through it relatively quickly. But it's basically, if you want to go back and read this, and you should, just go to Luke 1 and read the whole thing. And it tells this whole story. And so um, it's Luke is the partner book. Like we did the whole summer studying the book of Acts. Luke is part one to those two books. They go together. And you see in the very beginning of this, he's talking to the guy he's writing it to, some guy in Rome, you know, Theophilus. Hey, I'm writing this book so you can kind of have know what's going on. And you start. this is where the story starts in verses 5 to 7. And then we'll eventually get down to the part that we read um, earlier. But I want to go through this whole story because I think it sets the tone for the kind of message on peace that we need to be. So what we're just going to do is go through all these scriptures and then I'm going to make some points about it. Uh, Luke 1, 5 through 7. In, if you have a Bible, turn to it, or if you, we have the screens as well. In the time of Herod, king of Judah, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both very old. So childless and very old. Now, he's a... He's a Zechariah is a priest, and they, this is the thing where I was mentioning last week about, like, Jesus more than likely, most likely, was not born in December, on December 25th. A lot of people have done some fancy work, which I have not done, so I'm not going to... The so the story is because of this, he's in the priestly division of Abijah. There's enough information, I guess, they can say that the pre Like, you can even see here he talks about when it was his duty. Like, they didn't all do everything all the time. They took turns doing stuff, and there was a schedule, which I guess we have enough information about that people say it's more than likely that Jesus was born at the Feast of Tabernacles, which, again, as we've looked at the feast, kind of makes sense. You know, we don't need to, like, this is not a load-bearing pillar we need to build everything on. But it's probably that um, from what I've read. Uh, And it's also interesting because it kind of makes more sense. But the main point we want to talk about today is that they are old, they were not able to conceive, and they were very old. Not able to conceive and very old. This is where they find themselves. And... I think that probably there's a number of us in here, and you don't have to get like specific about age, that many of us in our own lives probably feel as though we have not been able to do a whole lot. Or when we were talking about all these grand things, like remember I was saying at the beginning, this juxtaposition or this this kind of conflation of world-changing, world worldview events, cosmological things, and deep dive into our person at the same time, you know, some of us really feel like, well, I've never done, you know, I'm not like Stephen Pam. I've never moved to Guatemala and started an orphanage. I'm not really anything. I'm not really anybody, you know. So it, it's this kind of weird circle that you, it, that kind of comment takes both of those things and jams them together. And that's the kind of thing that I think we find our two, the two people that we're talking about here, they're probably, God says in this, it's not their fault. Like they've been faithful, they're doing the right thing, but they are childless and old. And I think many of us find ourselves in places where we feel childless and old. And I'll say, like, Jesus, let the hearer understand. And it's no fault of their own that says that they were faithful and everything. 
But the story goes on in verse 8. And once Zechariah's division was on duty, he was serving as priest before God. He was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. It's an important thing. And when, and when the time for burning incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside, and then they sent him in. You know, then the angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. What do you think he was praying? Let's just to have a child, yeah. Okay. But he's old now. So do you think he might have stopped? You know, a lot of times when we have something that God's inside of us, after a long time, you kind of go, probably not. And you kind of, well, I'm going to grow up now. I'm going to move on. But. When I said about God seeing things differently, you know, the God shows up out of nowhere. It's like, hey, I'm answering your prayer. <laughs> like, what? I haven't prayed that prayer in 40 years, you know. But I'm just, I'm throwing some things out there. Y'all can put it together, you know. Your prayer has been heard. And he goes right into it. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son. And you will call his, and you are to call him John. And so he goes into this list of things. He tells him nine things about what his son is going to be like. He says, one, you will have a son. That's the first thing. Two, he will be delight, and many will rejoice because of, his, because of his birth. Three, he will be great in the sight of the Lord and must not take a fermented drink. Four, he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. Five, he will bring back Israelites to their God. Six, he will go before the Lord in the spirit and the power of Elijah. Remember what? Jesus said earlier, the seven, he'll turn the hearts of the parents to their children, eight, and disobedient to the wisdom of righteousness, and nine, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. That is a crazy list of things to just show up. I mean, now he knows he's doing something serious because he's going into the temple of God to burn incense. That's not like you, you are focused when you're doing that, but you're not expecting an angel to show up. And it obviously makes him afraid because it says that. <laughs> and then he finds out this information. So in an, you're in an intense environment. We're here to seek God or do things with God, you know. And an angel shows up, powerful enough to make you afraid, and tells you this incredible thing, which obviously you know you've prayed it. You know because you have, and here he is telling you. What does Zechariah say as a response? Is he like, awesome? Well, it says in verse 18 this, Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man and my wife is well along in years. I will say this first, that he's smart because he doesn't call his wife old. <laughs> he calls himself old, but as a person who speaks in front of people, so I kind of feel like, that's like a self-edit halfway through where he's like, how can I be sure of this? Because I'm an old man and my wife's also long in years, you know. Yeah. <laughs> but he doubts it. And it's not really the kind of doubt like, um, it's kind of like the guy who, when he's a demon-possessed son and Jesus says anything's possible for those who believe, he's like, I believe, but help my unbelief. You know, a lot of us have these things that God's put inside of us that, We've gotten our hopes up before. We don't want to get our hopes up again. And even in standing in the presence of an angel, he's like, I'm not, how can I be sure of this? 
And there's a resonance here with, you know, some of you are thinking, didn't I hear this story before? You did. Abraham and Sarah have a very similar story. And Abraham at one point does say, how can I be sure of this, you know? Um, but it says before that that he believed and it was counted to him as righteousness, you know. And so I see in this that the also the inter- he does kind of maybe include in the word this all of these nine things. But I think when I look at this, I don't think that Zechariah probably prayed numbers two through nine. I think he was just praying for a son. You see what I'm saying? So he's not doubting two through He's not even look. I don't know. It's like he might not even hear two through nine. <laughs> he's like, how am I sure that we're actually going to have a kid this time? You know? Um, and I think that, and maybe we'll get to it at some point, that those of us that have had something that we've held on to for so long that we knew was something God was doing, and it just seemed so, and then finally it happened. You kind of have these kind of reactions. We don't have to get, this is just a normal guy. This is what I was trying to say about earlier. He's not like, and he's a special guy, a character in a movie, and he had to say the right line. Because I think if he was, this next part wouldn't have been included. You know, Because when you write a movie or you make up a fake story about somebody doing something, you kind of, this is a strange turn. In verse 19, the angel said to him, I am Gabriel, I stand in the presence of God. Gabriel's a big-time angel. That's what he's saying. And I've been sent to speak to you and tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. So he can't speak during the whole time that, you know, the babies, um, they're waiting on the baby. Meanwhile, the people were out. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. When he came out, he could not speak to them, but they realized he'd seen a vision in the temple and he, for he kept making signs to them and remained unable unable to speak. When the time of his service was completed, he returned home. And after this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. And then the Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. And so I think that when you look at a guy, he's a normal guy, like he encounters something that's amazingly awe-inspiring, it doesn't always, every detail doesn't just go right. Like, and they lived happily ever after. It's like, you know, some of these things are hard to believe. And so what I'm trying to say to you is if God shows up, and when he does show up in your life on just a random day and says something amazing or does something amazing, you may not respond correctly at first, and it's okay. All right? Because you're going to see this works out. Um, Zechariah can't speak, and I think it's definitely God making a point that he is the one doing this. This is the other thing to keep in mind, because the points I'm going to make at the end, who's the one doing this? Who shows up on the random day? God shows up. He didn't go, I bet when I go in here and burn incense, I'll see an angel, and he'll tell me that I'm going to have a son who's going to be, you know, like, people don't think that way, you know what I mean? But it happens. And also, in a very similar, out-of-nowhere sort of way, we could, the story continues, and the head, heading in my Bible says, the birth of Jesus foretold. So keep in mind, we're in a a period of time after the final prophets in the Old Testament. Our Bible's laid out just like this. Then there's a gap of a couple hundred years here, and then all of a sudden this stuff starts happening, okay? So you have to also see that in context, that there's been kind of a quiet period, and they've been occupied by a foreign country. This hasn't been like, man, we're killing it, you know what I mean? <laughs> we've, been a, we've been oppressed. I mean, we've got kind of a temp- I mean, it's like things aren't, they don't seem like there's the way, like there's some people that say after the Israelites came back from Babylon in exile, they never really shed that, 
exile mindset. Like they never quite felt like this is how this is supposed to be. It's like it's still kind of messed up. And it's been like that, not like since my dad was around, since his dad was around, since his dad was around, like a bunch of times, you know. You kind of get used to it. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, this happens. Like we're seeing angels again, you know. So just keep that in mind. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, same guy, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. Which is a good way to start a conversation. Mary was greatly troubled at his words. So, again, you know, God showing up and doing stuff doesn't always feel like, man, this is so awesome. The first thing he says, she's greatly troubled by. Remember we sang that song, he's jealous for me, his love's like a hurricane and I'm a tree. It's kind of the same thing, like a hurricane loving a tree. You see, it's like it's not always, you know, sometimes branches get knocked off. Um, Greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. I think, what are you up to? But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. How long? Does that include now? Yes. His kingdom will never end. When will it end? Never. Does that include now? Yes. Okay. He will be, he will, how will this be, asked the angel, since I am a virgin? Now, this is a different question than Zechariah said. She didn't say, how do I know this will happen? She's like, okay, I got it, but how, how is that going to happen? Not how can I be sure that what you're telling me is true? Like, I believe you, but there's some technicalities here, which we don't need to get into. And, um, The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One will be born and called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. Remember, we just talked about that. And who is Elizabeth is her relative. That's cool. Is going to have a child in her old age. So she's like, okay, somebody else is in this with me because my relative, who's way old and way past having kids, is also going to have a kid. So at least we've got... Two, you know, two special births happening at the same time. She's going to have a child in her, in her old age, and she, who is said to be unable to conceive, is in her sixth month, for no word from God will ever fail. When will it fail? Never. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered, and may your word be fulfilled. And the angel left her. So that's the right way to respond if you're looking, you know. But, uh, but Mary was definitely troubled. And she also probably, I would just, I'm going to venture the guess that she wasn't expecting that to happen that day because it's not a common experience. And also, also, uh, we've been in this dark time, you know, for the last couple hundred years. Like, I know that God parted the Red Sea, like, all those years ago. But, like, right now, I mean, we're just living normal life, you know. That's stuff we talk about, you know. And then here are the angels talking, you know. But then Mary visits Elizabeth in verses 39. And... uh Keep going quickly. And at the time, Mary got ready and hurried down to the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, okay, the baby leapt in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Remember that that angel said he'll be filled with the Holy Spirit even before his birth? So I'm just going to, I mean, 
this just has to be said. If you're pondering what you think about things, like we've had these cases that are going before the Supreme Court right now about abortion and everything, and I know it's a way more complicated subject than just the Supreme Court cases, but if you're trying to think as a Christian person, how do I feel about these different things, and where does life begin, and what does this mean? You have to really reckon with scriptures like this. You've got Jesus himself, this is God, is a baby inside a womb, okay? And John the Baptist is a baby inside the womb, and they're communicating and being filled with the Holy Spirit. They're not just a subhuman thing at this point, okay? And there's, there's prophecy about them before they're born, okay? So just hold on to that stuff. Because um, John the Baptist specifically, when we're because we're mostly focusing on him, we're looking at a human being that God has declared. You know, he's. <laughs> you get what I'm saying. So, when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, she was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, "Blessed are you among women, and blessed." is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who comes, or blessed is she who has believed that the Lord will, would fulfill his promises to her. And then she's, um, Mary says back some, a special thing, which we're actually going to, it's going to be one of the candles in two weeks, so we'll save that. So then the birth of John the Baptist, we'll go to verse 57. When it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby, she gave birth to a son. Her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy, and they shared her joy. On the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, and they were going to name him after his father, Zechariah. But his mother spoke up and said, No, he is to be called John. And they said to her, There's no one among your relatives who has that name. Then he made signs to his father to find out what he would like to name the child. He asked for a writing tablet. So I guess he'd worked out. I got I to gotta do something to talk to people. So he had a writing tablet. To everyone's astonishment, he wrote, his name is John. And immediately his mouth was open and his tongue was set free and he began to speak, praising God. All the neighbors were filled with awe and throughout the hill, hill country of Judea, people's, people were talking about all these things. Everyone heard this. Everyone who heard this wondered about it, asking, what then is this child going to be? For the Lord's hand is with him. See, God is making a point. He's the one doing stuff, okay? Keep this in mind. And then um, I think at this point, this is where we find the scripture that we read earlier, and I'm going to read it one more time. Um, Zechariah is, uh, I think he's had a long time to think about his encounter with the angel, <laughs> And I think he's come around to it at this point. He may not fully understand exactly the depths of it, but I think he's come around to it because you can see it in this prayer, which my Bible calls Zechariah's Song. His father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he said through the holy prophets long ago, salvation from our enemies and from, the land, and from the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy to our ancestors and to remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham, to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear 
in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, my child, will be called a, he's talking about John the Baptist now, will be called a prophet of the Most High. For you will go on before the Lord and prepare the way for him to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path of peace. And the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he lived in the wilderness until he appeared publicly to Israel, which we're going to get into next week. So how does, what is, just a few quick points. What does this have to do with peace? I think lots of things. Like, these are normal people living their normal lives in a less than spiritual environment where things aren't working out that great. I think many of us could relate to that. Okay? I think the first point is this. We can have peace that God has a plan. Did God seem surprised by any of this? No. He knew what was going on the whole time. And I think we can also have peace that God is working out that plan on his own time schedule. You know, like, I'm sure, okay, now, hear me out. When I talked last week about preparing the way for the Lord and us being ready for the Lord's return and the readiness that he requires from all of his people from 2,000 years ago till now to be ready of his, at his return for the last 2,000 years, for the last 2,000 years, there have been thousands, millions of people that were ready and he didn't come yet. In that scripture I read, he's like, he's not late as many as we would think late, you know. And he may come during our lifetime, and we should be ready for this. But he also may come many generations later, and we shouldn't change anything of how we live at all. Just like these people. And so between the end of the prophets, there's a couple hundred years until this stuff starts happening. All of those people are important. And their lives were orchestrated by God, just like John the Baptist. And their value before God, it's this, it's this, like God has made these people as well. We don't know a whole lot about this period. There are some um, books like Maccabees and stuff, which aren't in our Bible, but they're available. They're in the Apocrypha, and they tell some of the stories about this. One of them is Hanukkah, which is going on right, right now. It's a story that happened in that intertestamental period. Anyway, when you're in the gap between when God is doing some of these grand things, you can start to think, well, maybe we made all this up, or maybe none of this is real, or maybe... And it's like, no, he's got a plan, and he's working out on his time schedule. And we can have peace that what God says will come true, will come true. We read that scripture last week, that like, let God be true, and every man a liar, you know. And we can have peace that God knows our needs and wants, and will take care of things. I hear kind of the, the kindness of God and the fact that Zechariah and Elizabeth get to have a son. And I think it's the kind of thing that they've definitely, just based on life, moved on from. Like, they're like, that's obviously not going to happen, so we've moved on, you know. And a lot of times we move on from things like that in a way that we say, like, you know, I'm just accepting that, you know. And I can't say that this is a universal application, meaning that everything we think we want or everything we think we're supposed to do, that this is all going to happen. It's not like that. But what I'm trying to say is that God knows why he made us, and that will happen. Now, if you and I have ideas about that that are different, oh, well, you know. <laughs> and I'm talking about that with myself, too, you know. Like, we get ideas in our heads from these different sources, you know. That's not it. And so... And part of this is, is, is uh, we have to throw this in there. I think that we can have peace that God's doing all those things, but also peace that you may not know what's going on, okay? I actually would, pro- I would 
really word this peace that you don't know what's going on, but I know some people get, you know, get you know they're aversive to extreme language. But I want to make this point in the fact that John the Baptist, God sent John the Baptist in the spirit and power of Elijah. Gabriel said that, the angel, okay. And it was prophesied um, that John the Baptist. It was prophesied about Elijah coming before Jesus and all this kind of thing, and you know. He was to prepare the way, and so he knew that. You know, he went to prepare the way. You know, Zechariah says this over him on this kind of thing. Um, but you see this interesting story happen. We're going to go into the Gospel of John. Uh, verse 19, I have. Now, this was John's testimony when the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was. John the Baptist, now he's a grown-up. Remember, he said he went into the wilderness until he started doing stuff. We're going to see what that kind of stuff next week. He did not fail to confess, but confessed freely. I am not the Messiah. So he's saying, I'm not Jesus. Okay, just translate that a little bit. Jesus is the Messiah. He's the one preparing the way for the Messiah. So they're like, are you the Messiah? Because they're trying to figure out, remember, peace that you may not know what's going on. Do you think these guys knew what was going on right here? They're asking him, like, are you the Messiah? And he's like, no, I'm not. And they ask him, then who are you? Are you Elijah? And what does he say back? I am not. Now, did Gabriel say he was or wasn't? Are you the prophet? And he answered, no. Finally, he said, who are you? <laughs> Give us an answer to take back to those who sent us. What did you say about yourself? John replied to the words of Isaiah, the prophet, I'm the one calling in the wilderness to make way, make way for the Lord. Make straight the way for the Lord. So he knows this role, but this is what I'm trying to say, that uh, the we can have peace that we may not know what's going on, but God does. Because you see Jesus, we read the scripture um, earlier. Um, and I meant to put it at the bottom as well, but uh, Justin, come on up here and play in the key of D. Jesus is quoting this when people are asking him about John the Baptist. Matthew eleven. 10, this is the one about whom it is written, I will send a messenger ahead of you who will prepare the way before you. That's that Malachi scripture, Matthew eleven thirteen through 15. For all the prophets of the law prophesied until John, and if you are willing to accept it, he is the Elijah who was to come. Whoever hears, let him hear. So if somebody is important of John the Baptist, who Jesus says, like, there isn't anybody that's been around that's been greater than this guy. You know what I mean? He's not 100% on, on the thing, you know? That, to me, gives us all a lot of encouragement because if he's not got it all figured out, it's okay if we don't either. God does. This is the point. What God is doing isn't easily predictable. If it was, he wouldn't be God. There's interesting stories of cultures. There's a cool book called With Eternity in Their Hearts written by a missionary who had started to encounter all these stories of when missionaries would finally reach remote groups of people, they wouldn't find, like, everything you're saying to us, we've never thought of or heard. Like, there are times where there's that reaction, but they were finding often people like, oh, okay, we know what you're talking about. And he's like, what do you, what do you mean? And then they go, we, well, we've had this prophecy from all these years ago about, and it would fit right into this Bible. You know, it's like, oh, so it's more like, that's his name, Jesus. Okay, we were waiting for you to tell us that. They were finding, and some of these stories they chronicled, one of them was there was a culture that worshipped the sun. And then it dawned on a guy one day that he's like, 
you know, we know where the sun is all the time because it follows like a pattern. Like, I was going to name this sermon Peace in the Ever-Circling Years, which is a verse from uh, one Christmas carol. Um, that escapes me right now. But, you know, we find ourselves in a timeline that, as the Bible lays out, is coming to an end, which is different than how most of the world sees time, where it's this cycle it's happening over and over again. And you hear like, okay, you'll be reincarnated. This is the same thing. Or like the circle of life from the Lion King. We don't really believe that. But you can still say it as a joke. But this whole idea of, um, you know, this cycle of life. And it's more. it makes more sense to look at time as a cycle. We look at time as a line because we're coming in the Christian worldview. And the Christian worldview has affected Europe so much, even hundreds of years ago, that we look at it. It makes sense to count up. You know, the calendar we use starts over every year. And that's why even in, like, other older Asian calendars and stuff like that, the years have the, the years kind of have names, but they go back and start over again. You know, or you remember that Mayan calendar that was ending all those years ago, and you're like, oh, it's the end of the world or whatever. There was, like, it's not, like, ending. It just it goes back to one, you know. It's like this is December 31st, and there's several thousand-year thing, and then you start over and count those years again. These people weren't dumb. But they were looking at the sun. They're like, oh, this is where all the power comes from. We should worship it. And they're like, you know, if we can predict exactly where that sun is going to be all the time with accuracy, because people weren't dumb a long time ago. They're just as smart as we are now, okay? They were paying attention. And it dawned on one guy one day that if we can just predict everything the sun's going to do, it's probably not God. That's an important thing to think about. Because a lot of us get comfort in how much we can predict what God's supposed to do. God's mercy always leaves the door open for him to be so much more generous than we think. And you see this in the life of Jesus, which we're going to be spending a lot of time in in the spring. Because if God was predictable, he would be controllable, and he isn't. What God is doing isn't always easy to understand either. The Bible says that our smartest thoughts are dumber than God's dumbest thoughts. That's my version. But it makes the point. We're not going to outsmart God here, you know, if he's any sort of real God, and he is. And so, but what I'm trying to say in these things is that these, these are actually good points. What God is doing isn't easily predictable means we have to trust him, not our understanding. And if you're a smart person, you better check yourself because you're probably checking your understanding way more than you're checking God, than you're trusting God, okay? <laughs> and he will be unpredictable in the best way. And what God is doing isn't always easy to understand because he's infinite and complex. Like, this is just simple to me. But what God is doing is always good. And this is the biggest thing to think about. Normal people living normal life. I'm living my normal life. You're living your normal life. That's where the whole Bible story happens. We have this Bible that's telling detailed stories of people that lived a long time ago. And then some of these prophecies reach over into time that hasn't happened yet. So we find ourselves in this same world, the same story these people are in. Not a different one. It's not like we closed that book. And now we live this normal life where we really know how things are. That's not how it is. We're part of this exact same thing. The blood in our veins is the same as theirs. When they tripped on a rock, it hurt the same way it hurts us. 
They had disease just like we did. All these things are the same. Now we have a lot more comforts in our day, but the thing is, we're the same people. Just like these guys were. Just like Zechariah was doing his job and an angel shows up out of nowhere. Because God's unpredictable. Okay? What God is doing includes you. But it does not revolve around you. This story, this book we have is about God. And it's about God saving humanity. And we're a part of that story. We are created in his image as part of that story at exactly the right time. He didn't, like, mess up when he made you. And he didn't, like, mess up when he made me. Like, oh, yeah, I should have done, I was not having a good day that day. You see what I'm saying? It's not how God is. God knew exactly when Zechariah was supposed to be born. He knew exactly that his wife and him needed to not have a child until it was way too crazy late for them to have a child. And then that child, John the Baptist, was going to do a really important thing. And then you could... You could flip through the book and come all the way up to your birthday, and he knew exactly that you were supposed to be born. But the story is about God. It does not revolve around us. And as American people, we often forget that. And I'm not picking, I mean, we're just, I mean, I'm not saying that uniquely. I'm just, I do think that we have a thing that's, we refer to each other. Like, I've heard people talk now. They're like, that's so on brand. You. I'm like, what are you talking? Like, we're not brands. You see what I'm saying? You're not a product to be sold. Okay. So when somebody says on brand, I'm like, that's just that's just crazy talk. People are not brands. But it causes us to start to, you know, social media and the whole, you know, it's all about us and everything. Jesus is the main character in the grand story arc, but we are a part of it, and He has put us at just the right place in just the right way, and we can have peace with that. And we need to focus on preparing the way for him. And we'll look at how John the Baptist does that next week. <laughs> Just so you can see about the juxtaposition of, of the, these kind of later candle themes. The next week is a rose-colored candle, which is, comes from this Catholic thing. It's all about this was a season of fasting, and that was a joy moment because they had like a break in fasting. It was a, some kind of thing where you would eat at that point or something. And it's not even pink. It's called rose, and that meant something. I don't mean to belittle, I'm not belittling any of this. I'm just saying I don't do it, so I don't always understand it. But we're, we're trying our best. But the candle is going to represent joy. And if you look at the scripture that goes along with it, is John the Baptist talking to people, and his first words are, you brood of vipers, who told you to flee the wrath to come? And so you go, this one's going to be a little rough, getting that square peg in the round hole. But we did. I mean, it, it makes a lot of sense. We'll have to get there. But So we'll see what it means like to prepare the way for the Lord. But today we need to understand that this is God's story. He's put us in it at just the right time. But we need to have peace with that. And a lot of us do not. And I think that we're going to sing this song, Prepare the Way, which is a song that we've been singing during the season and we will continue to. Um, So, band, if you guys want to come on up here. I'm going to read this scripture, which is Jesus talking. If you look in your Bible, it's in red letters. It's John 14, 25 through 27, and it's about peace. But I want to invite you, if you have some things in your life that you need to make peace with God, and they're not always just bad things, like bad things are definitely on this list, like fleeing the wrath to come is stopping the bad things. So that's definitely part of it. But some of us really hold on to some of these things. That, like, you know, God, I really felt like this was an important part of my life. And it doesn't seem like it's ever going to happen. What am I supposed to do with that? 
That's the kind of thing you also need to make peace with God about. And we're going to open up the altar this, here. And if there's people on the prayer team that are here, I would ask that you just be available to pray for people because we're going to sing. But come and spend some time in prayer as we sing this song and make peace with God about these things. Jesus said this, All this I have spoken while still with you, but the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all the things, teach you all things, and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. I'm going to read that again. It's not as the world gives. This is not all of your dreams will come true. You see, that's as the world gives. And they can't even give that. That's just like the, if it would happen, you know. And it's not going to happen. It doesn't work that way. <laughs> but he says, peace, real peace, I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I don't give you peace as the world gives. But do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. So, Father, I pray that you would pour out your peace in this room. I pray that you would open up our hearts to make peace with you about the things in our lives we don't understand, that we don't know, that we've lifted up too highly or whatever. I just pray that you would open our hearts to receive from you, Lord, the peace that you give, not as the world gives, but the peace that you give. And I pray that you would fill this place with your presence as we sing and as we pray and worship in Jesus' name. Amen. Please feel free to come forward in time of prayer as we sing. Feel 